Well, as Matthew said just a moment ago, uh, the story of Jesus confronts the story of the world, and we see that here in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, is uh, Jesus giving a vision for life right side up. And uh, that began in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12, with what are called the Beatitudes, a bunch of descriptions of what Jesus says are the blessed life. Now, the world would say, blessed are those who are really confident, blessed are those who are really strong, blessed are those who are really successful, blessed are those who have lots of comfort and ease. Uh, Jesus says, no, not at all. Blessed are those instead who are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who uh, are merciful, blessed are peacemakers, blessed even, he says in verse 10, are those who are perfect persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, these Beatitudes are very opposite of how we typically think of things. The Beatitudes are, are like Jesus asking people to start driving on the left side of the street. Any of you ever been to a country where uh, they drive on the left side of the road? You ever had a chance to do that or you've seen it on TV? I remember a number of years ago uh, being in New Zealand and in New Zealand you drive on the left side of the street and in the places where you drive on the left side, the car is sort of flipped around as well. So instead of the driver's side being on the left of the car, it's on the right of the car. And I remember having a chance to drive in New Zealand and it was very challenging because uh, once you learn to drive, it's just second nature. You're not thinking about it, you're not really analyzing a lot, you're just sort of reacting based on the just natural intuitions that you've formed through years and years of driving that way. Well, when you flip it over, and now you've got to shift with a different hand and turn a different way into oncoming traffic, it's a, it's a different thing. And Jesus is saying, here's the deal, I want you to go start driving on the left side of the street. I want you to go against the grain of how everybody else is doing it. Now, we might think, oh, well, that's fine. We'll just set up a new community. We'll set up a new country where everyone drives on the left side of the street. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go into the world driving on the right side of the street, and I want you to do it on the left. That's what he tells us in verses 13 to 16. He said, you're the, light of the, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. I don't want you to just form this holy huddle where everyone drives on the left. I want you to go out into the right driving world and drive left. I want, people to, uh, let your, I want you to let your light shine before others, verse 16, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. So Jesus is calling us to something very counter. Now, if you just kind of extend this analogy, imagine what would happen if you turned out here today of the parking lot and you decided to drive on the left side of the street. You headed up to Ellsworth and you started driving on the left side of the street. How would that go? What would there be? There'd be a great deal of chaos and there would almost certainly at some point, you wouldn't get very far before there'd be a collision. There'd be a crash. And that's what inevitably happens when the people of God begin to live out the kingdom values as they have inevitably crash up against the values of the world. And so you see that, right? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Why are they persecuted? For righteousness' sake. They're, they're confronting through their life and through their values the kingdom of the world. There's a collision. Now, what's interesting is that there's not just a collision between the irreligious culture but Jesus says if you live this way, you're actually going to find that there's a collision with the religious subculture as well. 
In fact, a lot of what's going on in the Sermon on the Mount and in the book of Matthew as a whole are the religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees, all the religious leaders seeing Jesus hang out with the vulnerable, hang out with those who he shouldn't, it doesn't seem, have anything to do with because they're so sinful and so wicked and that's who his friends are? And they're looking at him going, what's this guy creating a whole new religion? This is a huge problem, collision. There also, if you read the last verses of the Sermon on the Mount at the end of chapter seven, it says, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the scribes who have all this religious institution to protect, they're going, wait, 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 wait a minute. He, he thinks he's starting this whole new thing, collision. And so that, I think, is a good way to set up what, what we're going to look at here today in verses 17 to 20. Now, I need to tell you that today is really kind of part one. Next week is part two. So today's kind of an introduction. Uh, the rest of chapter five is what we'll look at next week. And these things very much go together. Um, and I'll also tell you this. In order to really understand what we're going to look at both this week and next week, I need you to think with me today. And I need you to follow along. Now, y'all are smart. You wouldn't be here if you weren't smart. So I know you can do this. And so we're going to think and we're going to really kind of just try to understand what Jesus is saying and uh, prepare us to, to look at what he's going to say more in depth next week. Now there's two big questions that come out of this passage that we just read. Because Jesus says some really, really big things in just this one little paragraph. Verse 17, here's a big statement. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The law and the prophets were the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. Jesus says, I didn't come to set that aside and start something new. I came to fulfill that. Okay, that's a huge statement. So our first question we're going to ask today is, what does Jesus mean when he says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets? Now, the second huge statement he says is in verse 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Okay, that's a big statement. If Jesus says, unless this, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, don't you think we should figure out what's, what's this? What, what's he talking about? So the second question we're going to ask today is, what does Jesus mean when he says our righteousness must exceed the scribes? and the Pharisees. We're going to try to answer those two questions and, and set the stage for, for next week. All right? So that's where we're going to begin. So first question, really out of verse 17, what does Jesus mean when he says he came to fulfill the law and the prophets? This sounds really important. And Jesus says, hey, the law and the prophets, I'm not minimizing these things at all. Now, now get this, he wouldn't have to say this unless people were thinking he was getting rid of the law and prophets. He says, no, I'm not, not at all. He actually continues in verse 18. He says, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. A dot, an iota, those are like dotting an I or crossing a T or the seraphs that are on a font. That, those are things in the Hebrew language. Jesus is saying, down to the writing, I'm committed to this. And I didn't come to get rid of it, I came to accomplish it. I came to fulfill it. So the law and the prophets, that, that sounds really important. To say Jesus came to fulfill the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, that seems like a big deal. What does that mean? What are the law and the prophets? 
Now, I could take a lot of time and do a whole big sermon on just what are the law and the prophets, but thankfully, there's an incredible resource out called The Bible Project. And if you have Right Now Media, uh, which is a, a kind of the Netflix of Christian resources and spiritual growth, uh, Bible Project is on there. If you go on YouTube, The Bible Project is on there. And what they do is they create these really great animated videos that are short that help you kind of take these big complex things and understand them in a more succinct way. So uh, I have a, a video that I want to show you here uh, that's from The Bible Project. It's called The Law. And it basically explains this idea of the law and prophets. Now I'll tell you, it just dives in. I mean, we're, we're like... Here we go, all right? So that thinking and that, you know, turn on, turn on the brain and follow along, and I think this will help set this up pretty well. So go ahead and take a look. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, no, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Yeah, don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws and then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion, and you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just gonna continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land, they break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's command wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. 
And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. You may go, I need to go watch that again. That's fine. You can go watch that again. It's on YouTube, uh, the Bible Project. Just look for the law. But the idea here then is that Jesus is saying, I didn't come to get rid of all that. I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill it. I came to, verse 18, accomplish it. So what does Jesus mean when he says that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets? Well, there's a number of ways that Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets that I wanna show you here this morning. Uh, One, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in his teaching, in his teaching. In his teaching, Jesus shows the true purpose of the law. And so this is actually what we'll look at next week is Jesus, uh, beginning in verse 21 through the end of chapter five, what he's gonna do is he's gonna say, hey, you've heard this from the Old Testament teaching and the customs of the Jews, but I tell you the true purpose. Let me take it even deeper. So just for example, look at verse 21 of chapter five. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Jesus says, listen, the the true purpose of the law is not just to keep you from killing each other. It's to actually have there be love in your heart because the reality is every time you're angry, that's murder in seed form that if fully grown and fully developed and given the right circumstances, that little seed of anger is what eventually results in murder. And Jesus says, I want you to fulfill not just the, the letter of the law, I want you to fulfill the spirit of it. And so in his teaching, Jesus fulfills the law. Now, a helpful illustration that's helped me get my, eyes, my, my head around this is um, some of you have learned to play music. Have you ever learned to play an instrument? piano or guitar or saxophone or you know who knows what I've got a couple daughters that are learning to play piano and when you learn to play an instrument you start out learning the scales you start out if you're playing guitar just a few of the chords you need to know and when you're learning that instrument you learn the scales you learn the chords and that's kind of for the first few weeks first few months even the first year that's like all you do you just play the scales you play the chords you play the scales you play the chords you're not playing music you're just playing the scales Now, eventually you get to the point where you actually start creating music. You start playing songs. You may even start writing songs and creating this beautiful music. And when that happens, you have not abolished the scales. You've fulfilled them. You've brought them to completion. The purpose of those scales was to make it where you could actually play beautiful music. And Jesus is saying, I I, want to get your eyes off of just the the, the rudimentary part of the law, and I want, you to allow, I want you to play the beautiful music of true righteousness. Jesus fulfills the law in his teaching. Secondly, Jesus fulfills the law in his lifestyle. In his lifestyle. Jesus lives obediently like no one else. Right? You saw in the video, right? God gives the laws, they break them. God gives the laws, they break them. God gives the laws, they break them. Only Jesus 
obeyed the law. You'll notice in every part of the video, Jesus is always in yellow because he's obeying God from the heart. His allegiance is to his heavenly father. He loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loves his neighbor as himself. He is totally devoted to the purposes of God. Where all of us fall short, where all of us sin, where all of us reject or ignore or flat out rebel against God, Jesus did not. He alone fulfilled the law with his lifestyle. One of the most beautiful pictures to me of that is uh, in Luke chapter 7, there's a place where it says that there was a woman of the city. You can imagine how what that phrase means and the kind of sin and the kind of background that comes into being called a woman of the city. And she's experienced the grace of Jesus and she is at his feet in Luke chapter seven, washing his feet, anointing him with oil, kissing his feet, rubbing her hair on his feet. This moment of total adoration. And here's Jesus, a single 30-something man And he is able to experience that with absolute purity. Tell you what, as a 30-something man, that's impressive. Because we talk about purity, and in religious kind of world, it's like, well, purity is staying away from people of the opposite sex. And there's a lot of wisdom to that, depending on the situation. But true purity is engaging with the opposite sex, but doing it with purity. Doing it with honorable intentions rather than lustful thoughts. That's true holiness. That's true righteousness. That's the true fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfills the law in his teaching, and he does it in his lifestyle. But Jesus also fulfills the law in his death. Jesus fulfills the law in his death because the the law demanded that anybody who broke the law had to be killed. Now, here's what's fascinating. We're the lawbreakers who deserve death. Jesus is the law keeper who doesn't deserve death. And yet Jesus goes to the cross and dies on that tree in our place. And in so doing, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in his death. The Apostle Paul reflects on this uh, in the book of Galatians, one of the first books written in the New Testament. And here's what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Paul's there quoting the Old Testament. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So get what this is saying. This is saying if you've broken one commandment, you've broken them all. And you're cursed. There's a curse. God's wrath, God's justifiable anger against your rebellion, your distrust of him, your lack of love for him and others. That curse is hanging over your head if you have not done all things right. Okay. Have you done all things right? First commandment. Nothing more important than God. Uh Uh-oh. Honor your father and mother. You done that perfectly? Let's call them up and find out. (laughs) You ever told a lie? That's one of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you've lied. 
You ever stolen anything? Yes. You go, oh, but I was just a little kid. Hey, 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 hey. Everyone who does not abide by all things is under a curse. You go, oh my gosh, I'm under a curse. Now, here's the good news. Paul continues in Galatians 3. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So Christ redeems us, Christ rescues us, Christ dies as a substitute in our place. We deserve the curse, Jesus takes it instead. We're now redeemed, Jesus is now cursed, and he does that by dying in our place. Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets in his teaching, in his life, and in his death. We can only have hope. Because we can't fulfill the law on our own. We haven't fulfilled the law on our own. Apart from, from Jesus' intervention, we stand in the courtroom of heaven and we are guilty. And our hope is that we can actually have life and blessing rather than cursing, but only because of Jesus' death in our place. Now that begins to shape up and inform how we answer the second question. And the second question comes out of verse 20. So look again at verse 20. Another extreme statement of Jesus. Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, is this just hyperbole? Is he, just, is he serious? Oh, Jesus, no, you don't really. No, he means that. This is serious business. If your righteousness does not exceed the scribes and Pharisees, you aren't entering the kingdom. Now that would have been horrible to hear because in the, the listeners of this, in their mind, the perfect people were the scribes and the Pharisees. They thought if only one person gets to enter the kingdom, it's probably a scribe. If two, it's the scribes and the Pharisees, but it ain't me, right? This is like Jesus saying, unless your righteousness exceeds Mother Teresa and Billy Graham and your grandma, who was just so sweet and perfect, unless your righteousness is higher than that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So, what does Jesus mean when he says that our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees? So I kind of imagine Jesus saying this. I imagine this sort of dialogue happening with him and the audience, right? Jesus says, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The audience goes, oh no, it's impossible. I couldn't possibly meet that standard. Oh no. And Jesus says, hey, 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 not so fast, not so fast. The scribes and the Pharisees aren't actually as righteous as you think. And he's going to go on to point that out through the rest of this sermon. He's going to say, hey, they're looking at just the exterior Stuff. I want you to look at the interior. The scribes and Pharisees aren't as righteous as you think. If you read actually what Jesus says in Matthew 23, you get Jesus' full picture of what he thinks of these really religious Pharisee type people who he describes as doing everything they do just to be seen by others. He calls them hypocrites. He says they're full of greed. He says they're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, they're bright, look great, inside, filled with dead men's bones. So they go, oh no, it's impossible. Jesus says, hey, 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 hold on, hold on. The scribes and Pharisees are not as righteous as you think. And the audience says, oh good. Then there's hope for me. And Jesus says, well, wait, 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 wait. 
not so fast. Because let me show you what true righteousness is. And that's when he goes and he says, you've heard murder, and you thought, well, I never killed anybody. Like, that was a real high standard of righteousness. And you go, well, I never killed anybody. He's, that doesn't matter. Let me show you true righteousness. It's have you been angry with someone? Or the one after that, verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. You go, whew, I've never done that. Okay? But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Again, lust is just the seed form of the full-grown tree of adultery. Jesus says, let me show you what true righteousness is. It's not just about this exterior minimum standard. It's a righteousness of the heart. And it's why you need to not take revenge. It's why you need to love your enemies. All the things he's going to talk about till eventually he's going to say in Matthew 5, 48, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. To which the audience then goes, oh no, it's impossible. And Jesus says, by yourself, yes. But remember, I fulfilled the law and the prophets. And in me, it's possible. Through me, it's possible. I fulfilled the law and the prophets. We've seen Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in his teaching and in his lifestyle and in his death. But here's the amazing news that makes it where when we read verse 20, we can read it with hope rather than despair, is that Jesus also fulfills the law in his disciples. That's us. Jesus fulfills the law in his disciples. He takes a disobedient people and he changes them from the heart so that they actually begin to live out a truly righteous life. Now get this. Get this, this is so key. We have, on, the only hope we have to stand before God and be declared not guilty and welcomed into his presence is because of Jesus' perfect righteousness. Amen? That's our only hope, right? Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things and Jesus redeemed us, he became the curse for us. Our righteousness is his. But here's the good news about this. Because of Jesus' transforming work on the cross, what he also does is gives us a new power that we never had where we're not only declared righteous in a like, positional sense, but we can begin to actually live righteously in our real lives, really loving God, really loving neighbor. You may remember in the video where it talked about the prophets and it kind of zoomed through talking about Ezekiel. Remember you had Ezekiel there and, and the, the spirit that was going to have to come into Ezekiel. You know, Ezekiel was talking about this. Here's the actual passage that they just referenced in summary form. Here's what it actually says there in Ezekiel, the Lord speaking. He says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Lord says through Ezekiel, hey, you need a new heart. You're not going to be able to, to obey this on your own. You're just going to keep failing. You need a new heart. You need a new spirit. And I'm going to give it to you. And when I do, you will begin to actually want righteousness in your life. Well, listen, here's the good news. Jesus fulfilled that. 
In Galatians 3, which we read just a moment ago, here's what Paul says. We read this verse already, but notice how he concludes it. He's, we, we already read, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. Then watch how he continues. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. <laughs> because of Jesus' death in our place and our trust in him. Get it, it's through faith. It's not through works. It's not through cleaning up. It's not through getting more religious. It's by trusting Jesus. And when that happens, we receive the promised spirit. We can now be the light to the world that the nation of Israel was never able to be because it needed a new heart. And now in Christ, we have new hearts. We have a new spirit. God is working in and through us. Remember Jeremiah? He mentioned Jeremiah in the video and how in Jeremiah there was a promise that obedience would be written on the heart. Let me show you what it actually says in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people for I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. God will put his law in our hearts to where we want to obey it. How's he going to do that? By forgiving our sin. Hey, Jesus fulfilled that too. When you fast forward in the book of Matthew, you get to the Last Supper. You get to Jesus on the night he's betrayed and listen to what Jesus says. Listen to how this is a fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it all, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here's what this means. That when Jesus says your righteousness must exceed the scribes and the Pharisees or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven, not only by faith is Jesus' righteousness applied to your account, but your heart begins to be changed by his spirit as your sins are washed, as you're cleansed, as you're forgiven, and you have a new desire to obey God where you obey him not because you have to, not because you ought to, because you want to. And in so doing, your righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. And you become the new covenant people of God. This is so important because there are some of us who, who we're kind of legalistic in our bent. We think, well, if I just follow the right rules, I could probably do it. And here's what this shows you. No, you can't. Because cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things. And you haven't done it. You haven't done it perfectly. And you can't and you won't. And you were so bad that Jesus had to die for you. 
Now, others say, well, gosh, this standard's so high, and I guess it's just forgive my grace. It doesn't really matter how I live. I, you know, I'm under the blood of Jesus. I'll do what I want. Do you see here how if that's your attitude, you're probably not really under the blood of Jesus? Because if you were, you'd have a new heart that wanted to obey? That not only were you so bad that Jesus had to die for you, but Jesus loved you so much that he was glad to die for you. And if that doesn't melt your heart and that doesn't make you say, I want to serve him with all of my life, then it probably hasn't really sunk in. Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets for us and then gave us his spirit and begins to do it through us so that we can live a new life of loving God and loving our neighbor. And we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray.